the cross is uh, the central message of Jesus' life. I think it's the central message, the cross wrapped up in the resurrection, the central message of the gospel, the central message of the Bible. Jesus' life is headed for the cross. We've been looking at Jesus' life, the perspective of Mark's gospel, and we've seen some glimpses of uh, what is to come as opposite, opposition uh, builds to Jesus. But in the final week of his life, Jesus uh, sends a couple of his disciples into the city and to Jerusalem to make uh, plans uh, for the observance of the Passover festival. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Passover was uh, an annual celebration and participatory event for God's people as they remembered uh, what God had done for them, as they remembered that God had spared uh, them from his judgment uh, in Egypt. Mark chapter 14, we read about this uh, observance of the Passover just before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion on behalf of us. So Jesus sends his disciples to go find this place. And Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 17, we read, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man, this is a title Jesus used to refer to himself, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is gathered around the table on this momentous occasion, this significant event. As the Passover celebration and observance ultimately finds fulfillment in the Passover lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and they're sitting around the table and Jesus says one of you is going to betray me. Of course we know the rest of the story we know that that one he referred to was Judas Iscariot and within a few hours Jesus would be arrested unjustly tried and handed over for crucifixion. But the truth is church that all of us because of our sin because of our rebellion against God have uh, betrayed God We've all gone our own way, and the good news for us is that the sacrifice of Jesus, the cross of Calvary, provides forgiveness for all who believe. God extends us His grace, inviting us to be restored into right relationship uh, with Him. And according to the instructions of Jesus, uh, we as God's people gather and gather often and remember this event We celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we uh, eat and remember. We drink and remember and proclaim 
the Lord's death until he comes again. I think there's a tendency when we observe the Lord's Supper, if this is something that we've been doing for a while, if we've been church-going believers for a while, to sort of approach it uh, casually and flippantly. Uh, It's something that has become familiar to us. As we approach the table today, let me encourage you, let me invite you to uh, consider the depth of your sin against God and the corresponding riches of God's grace displayed on the cross of Christ. Uh, This is a significant event to celebrate, to remember, to proclaim. And for this reason, we invite all who know Christ uh, to partake today, uh, to eat and to drink and to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then we would uh, encourage that you abstain this morning out of respect and reverence for our Lord. But as we approach the table, let me invite you where you are to spend a moment in prayer, uh, confessing sin before God and considering the greatness of the cross. Let's bow in prayer. And God, we do acknowledge this morning the depth of our sin against you. Lord, that you are perfect, that you are holy, that you are just, that you are the eternal God, the almighty creator. There is none like you. And we have fallen short, Lord. We have betrayed you by going our own way. But even so, Lord, your your love for us is such that you have provided a way for us to be forgiven. You have extended eternal life to us, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation through Jesus. Father, we thank you for the cross today. Lord, as we reflect, as we remember, as we proclaim, uh, grip our hearts, Lord, grab our affections, draw us to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Church, as our deacons come to help serve the elements today. Let me encourage you uh, to continue where you are uh, in a time of reflection and prayer and worship, confessing sin before God as we pass the elements. Church, let's take and eat and remember the body of Christ that was broken for our sins. Church, now we take and drink and remember the blood of Jesus that was spilled for our salvation. And Lord God, we do give you thanks this morning for the gift of your love, the gift of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, uh, grip us with that truth today. Uh, Fix our eyes on you. Lord, hear our praise. Uh, Prepare our hearts to uh, continue hearing from you. Lead us in all things for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for salvation. Praise the Lord for forgiveness of sins through, through Jesus. Let me invite you to open the scriptures with me this morning to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 6, as we continue our message series from uh, Mark's gospel. We've observed uh, and participated in communion this morning, also known as the Lord's Supper, as we Uh, remember and celebrate the life that we have with the Lord, the communion uh, that we have with God through Jesus and also with uh, fellow believers in Jesus. And an invitation to the table, that is to the Lord's table, is an invitation 
to experience Christ, uh, to receive the gift of his sacrifice by God's grace through faith in him and through his life and his, and his message, through his mission, Jesus confronts the proud and calls for faith. He confronts the proud and he calls for faith. Through his life and his mission and his ministry and his teaching, Jesus confronts the proud, those who are self-absorbed, those who are sinners, and calls for faith in, in him. That pretty much summarizes the, the preaching message of Jesus. Repent, turn from sin and believe in Jesus. Come to Jesus, surrender to the Savior and follow the Lord. You know, faith doesn't always come so easily, though. It doesn't always come uh, so naturally. In fact, I would even say that faith, uh, to a great extent, is a gift from God. Uh, but even so, uh, there's good reason, there's good evidence uh, to believe. In fact, there's a whole field devoted to uh, defending the faith and defending reasonable uh, arguments uh, for turning to Jesus for salvation and believing that he is who he says he is. As crazy as it sounds, there can even be a fairly convincing case uh, for saying that Jesus was even raised back to life from the dead. If you look at the way his followers, his closest friends, gave their lives to spread that particular message. The people I've been wrestling with, the identity of Jesus and how to respond to Jesus, who is Jesus, for some 2,000 years. How are we to understand Jesus? How are we to respond to Jesus? Those in Jesus' own hometown wrestled with the same question, wondering how they should respond to this Jesus. They watched grow up and came back home to Nazareth and they suddenly recognized that there was something special about this man that they had known as a child. But he was from similar roots to them. He was too ordinary. That was their conclusion. He was too ordinary to be uh, some special messenger sent from God, much less to be God himself. And so let's look at that encounter as Jesus returns to his hometown. Let's Uh, Stand together. Please join me standing for the reading of of God's word. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. The scriptures read this way. Uh, Jesus left there, and the there is the region around the Sea of Galilee where he had been performing miracles. He left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Father, we pray now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, we pray that you would give us faith, that you would strengthen our faith in you. Give give us wisdom, Lord, 
Give us humility and understanding the truths of your word and responding accordingly. And it's through Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, what is it then that leads some uh, to believe? What is it that leads some to turn to Jesus in faith? What, what led you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, to, to turn to Jesus in, in faith? What, rec- what led you to recognize that he is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Well, here Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And he performs some miracles and word is spreading about him. And he goes into the synagogue and he begins teaching in such a way that he captures the attention of of those there in Nazareth. And they're amazed at him. Then before long, they conclude that he's no one special. And we read right here, Mark's words, that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith in him. For here came Jesus the Son of God, God incarnate, God's power and wisdom being displayed through Jesus in such a way to bring others to a sense of awe before Him. That's what God's wisdom and power do. Is it not? God's wisdom and power evoke awe. His wisdom and His power evoke awe. Now you've seen this. I know you've seen this. You've seen this through creation, right? As you watch the waves... On the beach, crash against the sand. On a clear morning, if you've watched the sun rise, perhaps as you cross over Double Oak Mountain and you look back over Birmingham, you've heard the birds singing on a warm spring day. You've seen the hand of God in creation. You've seen it in, in babies learning to giggle, and children playing. God's wisdom and power are displayed through creation, evoking a sense of awe in those who will pause and ponder and listen. And through Mark and his witness to Jesus' life and ministry, I think the scriptures are also conveying that God's wisdom and power are also present and evident in the person of Jesus and should evoke a similar response, a sense of awe. Verse 2 of chapter 6, when the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Jews built synagogues during the period of the exile in various cities so that they would have a place to gather in prayer and to hear the word of God taught. Like Sabbath services in the synagogue were not that um, different from our worship gatherings today. It was a time of singing and of praying, of praying, of praying, of prayers, of scripture reading, and a message, a teaching from uh, the scriptures. And so the Jews in Nazareth were, were used to hearing uh, someone teach on the scriptures. But on this particular occasion, Jesus is invited to. To speak on the scriptures and the way he teaches captures their attention. For not only is he healing folks, performing miracles, but his teaching displays a sense of wisdom and understanding and power unlike anything else that they had heard. And so they're led to draw some conclusions about who he is. To wrestle with who he 
who he is. And likewise, those who take Jesus seriously at all today have to wrestle with who he is. Is he the son of God? Is the whole story about him simply a a legend that's been passed down? Is he a magician? Is he of the devil? Who is he? Church, wrestle with Jesus. Wrestle with Jesus. If you take him seriously, you must wrestle with his identity. Who Who is he and what implications does his identity have on my life? How should I respond to him? Remember how the disciples responded in chapter 4. Jesus spoke and quieted the wind and calmed the sea. Mark chapter 4, verse 41, the scriptures say they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They knew Jesus was special. They had already seen him perform miracles, but they had seen nothing like this. They were more afraid after Jesus calmed the storm than they were during the storm. They wrestled with who he, who he is. And likewise, all who take him seriously, considering his life and his ministry and his teachings and his mission, will, will wrestle with him, experiencing the wisdom and the power of, of God. Unless you ignore them. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore him. Wrestle with him. See the life of Jesus. Hear the message of Jesus. Wrestle with the identity of Jesus as those in Nazareth did. They wrestled with the identity of Jesus, but not for too long. They were amazed at what he was saying and doing, where he carried himself. But at the end of the day, they said, he's just like one of us. He comes from a lowly place. They remembered his father and mother. They remembered Mary and Joseph and his brothers, James and Judas and Simon and Joseph. Remembered his sisters. The sentiment of Nathaniel, recorded in John chapter 1, was too common in that day. Nothing special comes from Nazareth. Just a dot on the map in southern Galilee. Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. We're too familiar with the background, the history of the man Jesus to be impressed by him. I don't know what this looks like in our day, but perhaps we fall into a similar way of thinking when we Reduce Jesus to someone we teach our children about. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Or perhaps Jesus is that one that that grandma prayed to so earnestly. I think we're in danger at times of becoming so familiar with Jesus that we, we fail to let the person and the mission of Jesus really sink in afresh. Those in Nazareth were too familiar with Jesus there to be impressed by him for familiarity can breed complacency. Familiarity can breed uh, complacency, a sense of self-satisfaction. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. But those other Nazarenes weren't so impressed. 
Sure, they were captivated for a moment, but they were unmoved by him. Too self-satisfied, too preoccupied to see their own need for the Savior. Unlike the religious elite of his day, they didn't attribute Jesus' great power to the devil, but they dismissed him based upon his ordinary beginnings. Jesus, who do you think you are? We remember when you were just a boy. Who do you think you are coming back here and acting as if you are someone special? Surely God wouldn't operate this way. Surely God wouldn't use such an ordinary way, an ordinary man from an ordinary place to be his messenger, to be his agent for our salvation. Or would he? After all, the scriptures teach us that this is the way of the Lord. Making, wa- making foolish the wisdom of this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Surely God wouldn't take a carpenter from Nazareth and have him die on a brutal instrument of torture for the sins of the world. Surely God wouldn't call some uneducated fishermen to be the leaders of his movement. It's too ordinary. Surely he wouldn't call those who claim to believe in him to follow Christ to declare their faith in him by being dunked in the waters of a baptistry like we've seen this morning. Surely he wouldn't call people to eat some meal, to eat his body and drink his blood as a way of proclaiming what he has done for us. You see, God works in ordinary ways to call us to extraordinary faith in him, an extraordinary way of living for for him. Believer, do you still see the wisdom and the power of God in the ordinary or have these things become so familiar, too familiar, leading you and me to complacency? And if so, Church, let's invite the Spirit to move us again. Invite the Spirit of God to to move you, to wow you, to amaze you, to give you a sense of awe at His greatness and His wonder and His love once, once again. Ask Him to lead you. Ask Him to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. For the Scriptures teach that God is with us and He is, he is for us. He is our helper longs for us to experience the joy and the peace of knowing Him. He longs for us to know and enjoy Him forever. Remember the story of Jesus being confronted by a man who had a son who was possessed, recorded in Mark chapter 9. This man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you can heal my son, please do so. And Jesus says, nothing is impossible for the one who believes. Mark 9 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, this man had heard about Jesus. He had been amazed at what Jesus had done and was doing. He'd been moved by Jesus and he wanted to be moved again. I do believe. Help me, Lord, overcome my unbelief. I wonder if there's some of us gathered here this morning We're part of this local body of believers who have been moved by Jesus before and need to be moved by him again. Let's invite the spirit to move us again.
if Jesus has become too familiar to us. Let's invite the Spirit of God who is with us and who as believers is dwelling in us who testifies to the truth. Let's invite the Spirit to move us again and then let's implore the same Spirit to move others. Let's implore the Spirit of God to to move others, to work in and among others for His glory. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, we read these words from Paul to the church at Rome. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire in prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. In other words, Paul says, My desire from my fellow people is that the Spirit of God would convict them of their sins, that they would turn to Jesus for salvation. So I pray for them. I pray that the Spirit would be at work in their lives. And likewise, church, we ought to pray that the Spirit would move in the lives of unbelievers, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and to the ends of the earth. Pray that the Spirit of God would move in the lives of unbelievers, but also following the example of the New Testament and the instructions of Paul as he was led by the Holy Spirit, we ought also to pray for the Spirit to move in the lives of fellow Christians, leading us together to give our lives for the glory of God, to spend our lives for the glory of God, to be captivated by the truths of Jesus Christ, and to live for His mission. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. And pray in the Spirit, Christians. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Church, let's pray that the Spirit would move in our lives. Let's pray that the Spirit would move in the lives of unbelievers. And let's pray that the Spirit would move in the lives of God's people known as the church. For Jesus confronts the proud and calls for faith. May we live and may we walk by faith in Jesus. Father, we give you praise this morning because there is none like you. You alone are God. You are the Almighty One, the Sovereign King, the Loving Lord, and a God who is present with us, an ever-present help in times of trouble, and a God who has worked on our behalf through the gospel of Jesus so that we might be forgiven our sins. Lord, so that when you look at us, you no longer see us as guilty before you, but you see the innocence of, of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you for convicting us of our sin and calling us to faith in you. Father, forgive us where we fail you time and again. Give us eyes to see and ears to, see, ears to hear. Father, help, help us walk with you and respond in a way that glorifies your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.